are listening to the Caffeine and Thoughts Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode. I want to uh, play you a conversation that I had with Michael Maybach uh, last week. He is the Distinguished Fellow in a American Federalism with Save Our States. He and I talked about the Electoral College because, uh, as we saw in 2000 and 2016, and we'll probably see again here in 2020, depending on the, the outcome of the presidential election, uh, you know, people supporting the Electoral College and people you know, wanting to get rid of it. And Michael and I talked about the historical background behind the Electoral College, how it came to be, how it functions, and why it's important. And, and he addresses some, some uh, arguments that people who, who make uh, who want to get rid of it and you know, tries to provide an, a rebuttal to that. So I, I, it was a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Michael Mayabach with uh, Save Our States. Hey, Michael, thank, welcome to the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. Thank you very much. Nice to be here, Shan. Good to have you on. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you start doing what you do? Well, um, I, I was born and raised in Peoria, Illinois, which is the eastern part of Iowa, and um, uh, grew up there, went to college in Illinois, went out to California after grad school, was hired by the founders of the Intel Corporation, and I... Um, I managed their government affairs worldwide for uh, almost 20 years. Um, <clears throat> I've always been involved with civics. I wrote my first essay about the Electoral College when I was a freshman in college. Our professor, Professor Herbert Storing, University of Chicago, asked us all to write for or against the Electoral College. I thought I would be absolutely against it, but he had readings for us to do on both sides of the issues, and I surprised myself completely that I supported the Electoral College the first time in my life as a student that something that I read made me do a 180 degree turn <laughs> on an issue. And I've been writing and speaking about it as a hobby ever since. So I've retired from business now, but I speak about the Electoral College every week. Okay. So I don't want to assume knowledge on the part of our listeners, so let's just let's get really basic here. What is the Electoral okay. College, and and why did the founders create the Electoral College? That's the most important question, of course. Uh, Cicero said, "Unless you know history, you're always a child." So we all have right. to get educated, including myself. The Constitutional Convention in 1787, in the summer. Uh, was convened by George Washington and James Madison and a few others because the Articles of Confederation were falling apart. The 13 states were on their own and independent in so many ways. It just They weren't going to be able to withstand the pressures from France and England and other European powers to really tear the country apart, this very new country. So they had a constitutional convention. But their big problem, the number one problem, was they had four large states and nine small states. Uh, Delaware had 59,000 people. Virginia had 750,000 people. Yeah. It was the largest population of the states. It included West Virginia. Uh, Massachusetts at the time included the state of Maine. It was a huge state. And New York and Pennsylvania had other population centers. 
So the focus of all their work, really, that was great importance, was the large versus small states. And so the Connecticut Compromise, uh, which was in the middle of uh, June of 1787, uh, was to give the House representatives representation by population Mm -hmm. and the Senate two votes per state. That was the big small versus large state compromise, but it's a symbol of what they had to do when they came to electing president because the um, the hardest thing and the last thing they did was actually choose the Electoral College. It was designed the last week of the Constitutional Convention, hmm. first week of September, um, because they kept putting it off. They had lots of votes, probably 20 different votes. They, they didn't want a popular vote, but they didn't want the Congress to elect the president. That's how the British prime minister was elected by right. the parliament. And they thought, well, then the Congress will control the president and we'll have tyranny of the majority of Congress. So their number one goal was not democracy. It wasn't representation in a pure sense. It was how do we protect minority rights to keep people free? And that was the, that was the road they were traveling. And they decided, in effect, we're going to have each state uh, have an election, which we have. We have 50 elections now. Yep. And... Uh, the uh, result of those 13 elections will be the selection of the president. And the electoral votes are every state gets two because they have two senators, and then they get an elector for every House member they have. So, for example, Wyoming just has three. They have one House member and two senators. But it gives the small states a little bit of advantage in terms of waiting because they get the extra two whether they're Delaware or Rhode Island or Virginia. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, we've seen that the Electoral College has come under fire every time there's an election uh, where the, the, the winner of the presidential election uh, loses the national popular vote uh, but wins the Electoral College. So uh, I, I specifically remember – and. Uh, with with Bush in 2000, and then again uh, with with yeah. President Trump um, in 2016, uh, the this argument that you know we why why uh, this is well the word that they'll use this is undemocratic um, that you know why yeah. should the person who loses the popular vote uh, win the win the presidential election how 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 would you respond to that? Well, we've had. Um... 58 presidential elections, and five have experienced what you describe, which is the majority, actually not majority, but the plurality winner has not Mm -hmm. been elected president. So it happened three times in the 19th century, 1824, and then later on, I think it's 1876 and 86. Um, Those were very close elections. very razor thin, but in uh, all of those cases, uh, the winner won the majority of states. Um, In this century, well, actually, yeah, this century, the 21st century, Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have any in the 20th century in that that result, but in 2000 and then 2016, we had Bush and then Trump elected 
even though their opponent got more votes. Uh, Bush, though, won 30 out of the 50 states, and so did Trump. And um, more, more importantly, um, they, <laughs> uh, they won the Electoral College, uh, which meant that they had the most diverse cross-section of the country. And of course, 30 states is much more impressive in a way than 20. Um, and when you think about the fact that California has 40 million people and um, there's only, uh, well, there's no other state that's that large, but Los Angeles County has more citizens, more people than 41 of our states. There's only nine states, including California, that have more people than Los Angeles County. So if we just had a popular vote, it would really be an election of the cities, uh, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Miami, Houston. So people talk about swing states today. We would have swing cities, and the presidential candidates wouldn't even bother with, frankly, uh, Iowa or North or South Dakota or Wyoming right. or Idaho or Kansas or Nebraska, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, now, I, on this question of... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I just uh, owner. Uh, uh, one, one counter I hear from people, um, it's like, well, land doesn't vote, people do. <laughs> How do you that's know? a great, that's a great topic, and let's talk about that for a minute. I grew up in Illinois. Seventy-five percent of the land of Illinois is agricultural land. Mm-hmm. Only twenty-five percent is populated, mostly in the Chicago area. It takes a lot of land to feed people. And so to the person that would say that, I would say, I see. So you would like the people that use a lot of land, and therefore it's low population per, per acre, to be feeding the cities that would rule them. They would be uh. serfs. After a while, they would say, gee, if the cities are running the country, why am I feeding them and I never get a voice? presidential candidates never visit us in the wheat farms of South Dakota or in Kansas or the, the cornfields of Iowa. We have an Iowa primary and a New Hampshire primary for a very good reason because we've had a lot of wisdom in this country. Mm-hmm. The Iowa primary is to caucus, see if candidates actually. will appeal. Pardon it, me? It, it's a caucus, actually, not a, not a primary. But. I, I'm sorry. It's a, you're right. It is a caucus. Thank you. And we have that because we want to find out if presidential candidates can appeal to people who feed the nation. And New Hampshire, it's small towns and small businesses, because we know that the big population centers will have their say in so, in so much of this, but we begin by respecting people that feed the nation and that have small shops and small towns in New Hampshire and New England. Um, now, I hope that's helpful. That is um, on, on the question of democracy, let's ask ourselves, what is democratic about the fact that we can have a filibuster of a minority in the U.S. Senate and stop action in the Senate? And yet, to this day, since the beginning of uh, the U.S. Senate, at least in the early days before the Civil War, we had a filibuster because the minority has rights. What's democratic about the Bill of Rights? Maybe I have a religious view that nobody agrees with. Does that mean the majority rules? What's democratic about the veto? The president can veto something the majority of the House and Senate 
have passed. And my gosh, the Supreme Court, just nine people with black robes, five of them can decide a law is constitutional or unconstitutional, and no one elected them, and, <laughs> and on and on. So right. we are not a pure democracy, and pure democracies, as Plato wrote in Plato's Republic, always turn in to tyrannies. That's good. Good thoughts there. So, uh, you know, why is the electoral college better than uh, better uh, than choosing a president based on direct popular election of the president? You know, we've seen uh, a movement of the national popular vote compact. Um, say, say the MPV is is you know uh, they're successful and they get enough states <laughs> to sign on to base their uh, uh, you know to direct their electors to cast their vote for the winner of the national popular election. You know, what, what are the problems with that? And, and why is the Electoral College better? Well, it, it's a great question, and it's the seminal question right now, Shane. Uh, number one, a state compact is unconstitutional, according to Article One of the Constitution, unless the Congress blesses it, unless it, they pass a law signed by the president that says, these states can have a compact. Now, there are states that have compacts. You know, this bridge is going to be 50% yours and 50% ours, and they don't have to go to the Congress for that. But this would change fundamentally how we elect a president, and it absolutely would be tested in the Supreme Court as to its constitutionality. So number one, rather than go through the normal process that 26 27 times has happened in the amendment of the Constitution by having 38 states vote on it. The people in California, there you go, the largest state is funding the National Popular Vote Compact, uh, people in California and some in New York. Um, they're doing an end run around the Constitution because if they took it to the states, to the Congress, it would not pass. This change in the Electoral College, it's been tried. It was tried... 1970 and 1977 in the U.S. Senate, and it was stopped there by Democrats, actually, which is a whole other story. Number two, the political parties that we have, the two-party, very, very stable two-party system in this huge country of 300 and some million people, we have only two major parties. Italy has nine, Israel has ten, Spain has seven, the U.K. has five. Germany has almost ten. So <clears throat> most republics around the world have lots of parties, and it's very hard to ever get a majority to decide on a prime minister, in our case a speaker of the House, etc. We take for granted our stable two-party system that gives <laughs> all this contratemps we have in this country at least a choice of A versus B rather than have 20% of the people vote for five different candidates. So we would lose the, the, the uh, Republican and Democratic parties. Mark Zuckerberg could just say, you know, with my billions, I'm going to run for president on a popular vote and, um, and never have to uh, be a member of a party at all and use the party apparatus that we have in every state. Okay, well, <laughs> man, you're, you're, it's almost taking us down another rabbit hole. I frankly would like to see the end of the two-party system myself, but I I, okay. I, I believe I but I support the electoral college. I mean, are, are yeah. the two do, do the two things you know go hand in hand? Really, I mean, 
if we had four, say four parties, would that would that still hurt the electoral college? It's a good question, and let's just look at some facts. Ross Perot ran against George Herbert Walker Bush, as you know, and Bill Clinton in 1992. And um, Perot got 20% of the vote. That's pretty significant. And did not win one electoral college vote. Mm-hmm. Eugene Debs ran four or five times for U.S. president, including getting 20% of the vote in one year and didn't get any electoral college vote. So what really has happened in America with the electoral college is candidates, national candidates, learn, uh, I can be a spoiler. You know, I don't think Bill Clinton would have been elected if Ross Perot had not run. I think Perot actually defeated Bush uh, as much as Clinton did, but mm-hmm. people can, can debate that. Um, uh, but um, the two-party system has really said to people, if you want to win the electoral college votes, in other words, uh, uh, win different state elections uh, several times, you have to win, in this case, at least 23, 25, 30 states to become president. I'm going to have to join one of the two parties. This is why Bernie Sanders, who never was a member of the Democratic Party, ran twice for president saying he was a Democrat, even though he never jo- he joined the party only to run for president, not because he wanted right. to be a Democrat. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, we could, I was thinking, I know one strategy that, uh, that uh, in 2016 for the third party candidate, especially I was thinking uh, Evan McMullen was win Utah, if you could win Utah, and if the, if the electoral college vote is close enough that, you know, create a tie perhaps. And, yeah. and it was just the math was really interesting to where it would actually then go to Congress <laughs> to have to decide. So um, back, I, I, I'll talk a little bit more about the, the national popular vote uh, compact, because I think that's probably right, right now the greatest threat to the Electoral College. What Absolutely. What, would, what would be some of the other um, fallout from the Electoral College being eliminated or if not eliminated constitutionally through amendment, but at least in effect, uh, you know, pretty much neutered by a, a national popular vote compact, especially, say, if it was taken to court and somehow miraculously was upheld? Well, I think the first thing that would happen if we had a national popular vote uh, is that um, many people, mostly wealthy people, would simply run for president and not go through the primary system. They would simply use their money and their own organization to get on ballots. And you could have a regional candidate. No, there's someone that just ran in the Atlantic coast, let's say between Illinois and New York and on down to Florida. And because they were a regional, let's say a governor in one of those states or a well-known TV personality or something, and um, uh, so you would have a proliferation of choices, and then you might get someone who um, won the popular vote with 27% of the vote because there were so many candidates. And do we want to have – remember, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact does not require anybody to win 51% of the votes, and there's no runoff. And so we could have 10 people running, 15, 5, whatever the number is, and they would divide the votes between themselves. 
And it would just be wealthy people funding their own campaigns. The two-party systems would probably just stand aside and watch. Uh, maybe they would have candidates as well. But certainly, um, there's no need to have a political party if you don't need the party uh, apparatus inside of the states. You just run a PR campaign and fly around to the large cities. Hmm. So uh, we wouldn't have <laughs> – one of the great things about the Electoral College is it creates a winner. Um, people don't realize – this sometimes, but uh, Abraham Lincoln only got 39.8% of the vote, less than, less than 40% of the vote in 1860, when six states had already left the Union or on the way out uh, when he got elected. Um, but he won 18 states out of 33. He won the majority of states, and therefore, People said, because we are a nation of states, people said, well, he's a legitimate president. He won the majority of the states, uh, even though there were four candidates. Uh, Stephen Douglas, for example, the famous Lincoln-Douglas debate, Stephen Douglas mm -hmm. won Missouri, just one state. Mm -hmm. He didn't win his own state. Uh, Lincoln did. Um, so it creates majorities, this electoral college, even though there were four people running. It's unusual we have four people running that are serious, but Breckenridge yeah. ran in the South as a Democrat, et cetera. So, um, so it, it creates a majority that you wouldn't have. And do we want to have a 25% president? Um, I, don't, I don't think we – people would say that's very legitimate. They'd want a runoff. Hmm. One of the things I – if you don't mind me saying one more thing, Shane. Sure. Um, there's 28 countries in the European Union. All are considered democratic republics, or they wouldn't be in the European Union. That's the number one criteria is you have to be a, what we call a democracy, but these are republics. Mm -hmm. Of the 28, only two have popular election of their head of government, France and Cyprus. All the rest, their heads of government, are elected by their parliaments. Boris Johnson, when he was elected <laughs> last year, about this, well, it was last, I think it was last November. Mm -hmm. um, he ran only for his constituency in London, just like a congressman would. He's a member right. of parliament. Yeah. And then the parliament, he won the, his party won the majority of seats. Well, Mrs. Merkel is a 10-year chancellor of Germany and just runs from her own constituency. The German people have never voted on Boris Johnson. Margaret Thatcher, Winston Churchill. Uh, you mean British, <laughs> or, British people. I mean, sorry, the British people have never voted for, on the ballot, all the British people, for Churchill or Margaret Thatcher or Boris Johnson or Mrs. May, et cetera. They haven't. Right. And the German people have never voted, all of them, for Helmut Kohl or, or, um, or Mrs. Merkel. Um, they, they just got elected from their constituencies. Well, the reason that 26 of the 28 European nations have much less democracy than we do is because they feared tyranny of the majority. They feared mob rule. They learned something from the French Revolution, which was, which was that uh, majorities can quickly tyrannize people. Right. And uh, ask, ask Socrates in his trial. Yeah. Um, most states still have a winner-takes-all provision with granting their elections, uh, Nebraska being yeah. an exception, as well as Maine. Um, cr critics say that that cancels the votes not cast for the winner. How do you respond to that criticism? Well, two things, and it's a good question as well. You have all the right questions. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, 
it's the right of every state to decide this. So if all 50 states want to, in effect, uh, uh, disaggregate their electoral college votes by congressional district, like they do in Maine and in Nebraska, they have the right to do it. <clears throat> Matter of fact, the Constitution does not require winner take all. But the reason that 48 of the 50 states don't do that is because they think that'll dilute the attractiveness they have for a presidential candidate to visit them. They want them, they want the attention of the candidates. <laughs> and that dilutes their attraction. You go to Maine and maybe you win three instead of five or whatever the number is. And same with Nebraska. So they've diluted their attractiveness, in, in my humble opinion. Um, but, but also the Constitution doesn't require winner take all. Um, states can, states can um, uh, decide if they want to disaggregate, as I said. Uh, but the other thing is every single Democratic election has voters that <laughs> are unrepresented, if you will, whether it's mm -hmm. mayor or city council, there's always a winner and a loser. So I know the national popular vote says, isn't it a shame that all these <laughs> Republicans in California, their voices are not heard nationally? Well, then if we had a national vote and the candidate won 55-45, that'd mean 45% of the American people's vote wasn't heard nationally either. So yeah. it's, it's a, it's a uh, sort of a hide the pee under the cup kind of a argument of, gee, um, isn't it terrible that the, the winner wins and, and people that don't vote for the winner don't get their way? It happens in every single election, every time, any, any office, any public office. Right. You know, there's a couple things I was thinking about, too, is, you know, say – uh, one of these states that, that signed the National Popular Vote Compact that um, say the, 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 um, the people in their state did not vote for the National Popular Vote winner. And, and, and then suddenly their electors are required to, to cast their ballot uh, for the, the uh, National Popular Vote people. I'm like, doesn't that disenfranchise uh, the people who, you know, who picked somebody yeah. else? And another thing, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I love the point you're making. It Just think of it, 15 states, all 100% Democrat legislature and governors have passed the National Popular Vote Compact. Not one state uh, that has a mixed legislature or a mixed governor legislature has passed this thing. But what they're really saying to their voters is, it's an affront to the voters, no matter how you folks that, that elected us in the legislature vote, we're going to have California, New York, and Chicago, Illinois decide every president because that's what will happen right. uh, with the national popular vote. It's really an affront to the voters that they, quote, represent because they're really saying your vote doesn't matter if some other state has more votes uh, for a candidate that you don't select. Yeah, you know, I just – also, too, since we do have 50 presidential elections, I mean, you have 50 different sets of laws as far as early voting, 50 different sets of laws regarding mail-in ballots, 50 different sets of laws uh, uh, far, as far as how, how long polls are open. And, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't um, a national popular vote make 
because right now the way our system is set up, I think tipping tipping a presidential election by voter fraud, I think is practically impossible. I, I just don't think I, I don't think realistically it could happen. Um, you know, uh, but wouldn't that be easier if we went to a national popular vote? Wouldn't what be easier? Oh, I'm sorry. V- voter fraud, tipping uh, tipping election use with. Oh voter my fraud. gosh! Yes, yes. Well, you know, one of the great things, if if people watch the movie Titanic, they know that the reason that Titanic sunk, uh, and it's on in the movie, the designer of the ship was on the ship, is to save money. They didn't uh, isolate each compartment uh, underneath the ship. And therefore, as the first compartment was breached by the iceberg and filled up with water, the water then overflowed to the next compartment and the next and the next until the whole ship sunk. And they actually predicted how much time it would take for the water to do that. And um, uh, the Electoral College system... Uh, it does the same thing for us. In 2000, when we had the recount in Florida, where they we had six weeks of recount, as you know, before we ended up at the Supreme yes. Court, and people looking at chads, chads and all this stuff. Well, if we had a close national popular vote, if, if we really went to a national popular vote and the election was close, let's say it was 300,000 votes separating them. And we've had lots of elections like that, I promise you. You know, if Illinois had gone for Nixon, John Kennedy never would have been president. And Mm -hmm. and probably there was a lot of voter fraud in Chicago, given that Mayor Daley was running that city. Mm -hmm. But uh, be that as it may, we had recounts in one state, in Florida. We didn't have to have an entire national recount in 2000. But if you have a national popular vote, and somebody sues in one of the states and says, I want to have a recount, the other party will say, whoever the other candidate or candidates are, then we're going to sue in the courts and have the all 50 states recounted. And honestly, with a population of 300 and some million people, we will never have a president under such a system. The recounts and the court cases will never end unless right. the Supreme Court steps in and says recounts aren't constitutional or something, and I don't think they would say that. So this electoral college saves us from uh, from fraud spilling over to other states. And the other thing is, you know, if <laughs> uh, 15 states give driver's license to illegal immigrants, including New York, Illinois, and California, all big blue states, very populous, among the top five populous states. Um, but you know what? If there's a million extra votes that are illegal in California, they don't get any extra electoral college votes. So that's sort of a wasted a million fraudulent votes. But my gosh, as soon as you have a national popular vote, every single fraudulent vote in every state has an impact. And that million of fraudulent voters in California, just picking on California because they, 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 they deserve it. Ballot, <laughs> Because it's ballot harvesting and, and no voter ID. Now, 30, I think it's 38 states require voter ID. California is not one of them. So you can come in and vote without your driver's license, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, and um, so 
the Electoral College really does um, give us a, a winner, even if they don't win. Um, nobody wins the popular vote majority, and they isolate us from fraud spilling over into every state, and they isolate recounts. And the final thing, Shane, is that if we had a national popular vote, you point out that we have different election laws. You know, five states have historically used mail-in ballots. Others don't. Virginia, I voted last Saturday. Virginia is already voting. Most states don't vote early, uh, at least right now, but we do. So all of those laws would have to be um, standardized. And who does that? The U.S. executive branch would have to run their elections. Do you want the president of the United States running the, their own uh, the elections for their own reelection? Hmm. <laughs> no conflict of interest there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, hey, we we are about out of town time, so I want to just give you a chance to talk a little bit about Save Our States and the Center for Electoral College. Okay. Very, very much appreciated. Well. Um, when I retired from business in, in 2019, uh, I decided to start the Center for the Electoral College, which has a website and a bunch of resources, and that was going to be my hobby. Uh, along came a fellow named Trent England, who in 2009 had started Save Our States in Oklahoma. I knew nothing about it, and um, so uh, he and his organization, there are six of us, he hired me in January of this year to work uh, with them as a nonprofit, and my role and his and a couple others is simply to give speeches and do interviews and be in debates and write uh, op-ed essays about the Electoral College. So the Center for the Electoral College is a website people can go to. I built it, and it's free. Um, but uh, if you want to give donations or you want to get more resources uh, like essays and book titles and podcasts and radio interviews we'll, we'll post this for example when this is, this is available um, uh, you can go to saveourstates.com and uh, our we only have one goal and that is to preserve the electoral college system defending it as part of the constitution michael thank you this has been a pleasure and very enlightening and and you know uh i, I like to say i learn something new every day and there's a few that you gave me some uh, a new perspective. I mean, I'm a, I'm a supporter of the Electoral College, but you made me think of different things in a different way. And of course, with, with with my age, when you when you learn a new thing every day, you sometimes you forget ten things. But you know, as well. But <laughs> but no, this is very helpful. Right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, and God bless. Very good. It's an honor to be on your program. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Have a great day. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yes, sir. Bye. That concludes today's episode of the Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere other than on our website, please be sure to check out caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's caffeinatedthoughts.com. Or you could just Google Caffeinated Thoughts and it'll show up at the top of your search screen. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, sign up for our emails. That way you don't miss a single update. You can also subscribe to this podcast using your, your favorite podcast app, whether that's uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, or SoundCloud or Podbean. We're on all those. Uh, I know Amazon just launched a new podcast app. I'm going to look into getting caffeinated thoughts on that if possible. 
and we we still are, need to get into the new Google Play podcasts as well. So uh, those hopefully will be coming. Um, if there is an app that I did not mention uh, that you'd like to see us on, you know, drop me a line at Shane at CaffeinatedThoughts.com um, and let me know what that is, and I'll try to make that happen if possible. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Take care, everybody. Thank you.